Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so blessed to be standing before you here today on this beautiful Lord's Day. Today, friends, I'm a man set apart from who I once was. I am a man set apart for Jesus. Pastor John asked me to speak this morning as a representative of my Apollos class. It is my honor to do so. I'd like to tell you about my experience in Apollos, my personal passage, and a little about myself. I have entitled my message, Whom Shall I Fear? As God continues to transform me, maturing me in the faith, I see more clearly each day that he has a plan for me and that he will see it to completion. I also realize that with God being in charge and that all he does is good, I no longer have anything to be afraid of. Thus, whom shall I fear has become my refrain. In Psalm 27.1, David writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Friends, earlier in life, I experienced being an unwanted child, homelessness, divorce, war, and other trials and hardships. I can look back now and see where God's protection was and is over me. If God can protect me, and see me through all of that, I know he has my back. Whom shall I fear? Soon after Lisa and I began attending Warrington Bible Fellowship, we became involved with some of the community outreach programs, the home group, and other ministries. And my way of thinking began to change. I think of it as transformation rebooted. Surrounded by all of you brothers and sisters in Christ, we found our new church home. For Lisa and I getting to know Pastor John and Pastor Scott and spending time with all of you, your open arms and the outpouring of compassion was overwhelming. Never have we felt so instantly a part of a church family. Both Lisa and I had ministry experience prior to WBF. I attended the Master's College in California, was a deacon in my church, and led a foreign medical missionary program. Lisa was involved in various ministries, including the music program. And we were looking for a church where we could be involved and serve. We were welcomed with open arms here at WBF, and after expressing those desires, we were invited to participate in the Apollos program. John explained that at WBF, in order to be in ministry, Apollos was a prerequisite. That sounded fair to us since other churches we had been in also had requirements of taking courses before being in a ministry. Little did I realize at the time, however, that Apollos was not merely a one or two day class to orient you on what we believe. It is a program that explains what we believe and why we believe it. It takes you through an in-depth study of the Evangelical Free Church of America's 10 Statements of Faith. 
Each week of class, we prepared papers on each statement of faith, formulated definitions of many of the key words. Through this intensive four-month course, I learned more about what I believe than I knew before. The deeper understanding of why we believe what we believe and why it is so important. I would like to encourage everyone, as John has done this morning, who has the desire to, more ha to have a more comprehensive understanding to what is preached in our church every Sunday to consider attending Apollos. My transformation reboot began there. At the beginning of the course, we each selected a random passage out of a hat. The passage I selected was Ephesians 4, verses 25 through 32, entitled, Do Not Grieve the Spirit. Our final assignment was to do an expository paper on the passage. Not only to read it and know it, but to genuinely understand the passage in its context. The only way to do that was to read more than just the passage, to dig into each word, to understand the culture at the time, the external pressures on the people, and why they acted as they did. And the real kicker for me was the similarities of how we act now and how it is not that different. One thing I learned and that has meant so much to me in my Christ, not only in my Christian walk, but for every day, is context is king. Before I read a verse, I saw only what that verse said. Now I look at a verse, I look at the verses around it, I look to find the culture of the day, when was the passage written and by who, and this helps to discern the real meaning of the verse by understanding what was happening at the time and what the real point being made was, the context. You cannot judge a single verse, verse's meaning purely based on the few words that are in it, just as you cannot judge a book by its cover. It's part of a bigger chapter and bigger book and has meaning beyond what you see by reading it alone. The concept applies to daily life as well to understand what is actually going on as we communicate with our spouses, friends, children, and co-workers. We need to understand the situation and look at it more holistically to be able to respond in an appropriate manner. Pastor John talks about this when he preaches. When I learned that, it was like a light bulb turning on in my brain. Now that permeates everything in my life. When you think about something a coworker says to you in a few short words, in the back of your mind, are you thinking, am I getting the whole picture? Well, the answer is no, you're not, because you don't know the whole story. You must understand the context of their statement. You must dig, consider both sides of the issue. Then and only then will you be able to comprehensively understand the true situation and respond accordingly. God wants us to understand the right picture, the whole picture, as he intended us to see it. Context is king. Before we read my selected passage, I'd like to set the scene 
for you and give you context. Paul wrote Ephesians shortly after completing Colossians. He also wrote Philippians and Philemon around 64 AD. Ephesus at the time was the capital of the Roman province of Asia on the west coast of Asia Minor. And it was among the top five cities in the Roman Empire in the first century. Ephesus was also the center for evangelizing the western portion of Asia Minor. And Paul wrote to the Ephesians to explain what the core of being a Christian is. He spends the first three chapters of Ephesians explaining the glorious truths of salvation and the church Christ is gathering to himself. In the rest of his letter, he declares how our faith in Christ is put into action. Additionally, let's look at a verse in Ephesians and Romans. In Ephesians 4.24, Paul tells us to put on the new man, a new behavior that's appropriate to our new nature. But to do so, we must eliminate the patterns and practices of our old life. How are we to eliminate those? In Romans 6, verses 12 through 14, Paul tells us, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So now I invite you to open your Bibles with me and follow along in Ephesians, verses 25 through 32. This morning I will be reading from the New King James Version. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Bless the reading of God's word. So in this passage, Paul outlines six concrete ways that Christians are to put off their old lives and put on life in Christ. In verse 25, it tells us that they must turn from lying to telling the truth. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. This is the first of six categories of change noted in Ephesians of how we are to act. You exchange, you exchange lying for speaking truth. In Revelation 21, verse 8, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable 
and murderers and fornicators and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burn with fire and brimstone. Lying is not characteristic of a believer. Friends, as we go about our daily lives, we are to be Christians every day, not only on Sundays when we see one another. The ways of the Lord are not like cake that we eat only on Sundays. It is the bread of life that we partake of every day that we may be sustained by the word of the Lord continuously. We are not to put on a Christian face when we are with each other. We are to always exhibit our faith and walk every day so that others may see Christ in us. This is our witness. And when we as Christians and brothers and sisters in Christ turn to one another for fellowship in home groups, in Sunday school, and other ministries, we are building one another up, holding one another accountable, and sharpening each other through the sharing of God's word. Proverbs 27, verses 17 and 19, Solomon writes, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And in verse 19, As in water, face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. In verses 26 through 29, Paul instructs us how to avoid the evil one beginning in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. In other words, give no opportunity to Satan. If you know that you are weak at something, avoid it. Don't even dabble near it. Just say no. Pray the power of the Holy Spirit will protect you from the attacks of Satan. What I do is I tell Satan to be gone. When I feel a temptation that I know is wrong, I just say, Satan, be gone. I picture in my mind Satan being cast away from me. Remember that Satan's attacks are, not, are often not overt, but subtle. He speaks with a forked tongue and tries to challenge your knowledge of God by twisting it and attempting to confuse you into believing his way is the right way or the easy way or the way that will get you what you want. Friends, do not be deceived. In Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, we read, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Friends, the wide gate is easy. It leads you down a path that looks enticing, but it leads you to hell. The narrow gate is for a select few, and is more difficult to walk, as it requires obedience to God but his path leads to righteousness. Verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. 
change your ways, do honest work, give to others as they have need. In Colossians 3.23, Paul writes, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. In verses 29 through 31, it says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, gossip, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. In other words, do not speak words which tear people down. Do not gossip. Speak words of affirmation and encouragement which build people up and give them strength to endure the hard times. Look to God for your strength. How do you feel when words of affirmation are directed to you versus a hostile working environment? It takes as much time to be positive as it does to be negative. When this, when this situation arises, it can be difficult, but I consider what would Jesus do and try and act accordingly. What does angry speech, vindictiveness, and revenge do when it comes from our lips? It stirs us up. It's the foundation of hatred, and it is much more difficult to quench the longer it festers. No one is enriched by doing these things. Put them away and look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, for peace. And finally, in verse 32, we are instructed to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Friends, how many times have you sinned? How many times did Jesus say he would forgive you? We are to have the heart of Jesus when it comes to forgiving others who have sinned against us. Jesus forgives us if only we confess our sins and ask for his forgiveness. Matthew 7, verse 5 says, Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Don't judge someone else more harshly than you want to be judged. None of us are perfect. Consider what would Jesus do? Consider what do you want Jesus to do when you ask for forgiveness from him? In conclusion, we are to stop falsehood, sinning from anger, stealing, corrupt talk, bitterness, wrath, anger, gossip, slander, and malice. We are to practice speaking the truth, resolving anger calmly and productively, working to share, speaking words that help and build up kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. And we are to renew our minds by looking to Jesus who practices these things toward us every day. Friends, my presentation this morning is entitled, Whom Shall I Fear? My former fear was being afraid to let go of control 
of my life, of what, might, of what that might mean, and who then would be in control. Sorry. I was busily doing what I thought I needed and wanted for my life. But what I did not realize at the time was that since I had not given control over to God, that Satan was running my life. He was running my life into the ground on the road to hell. I had no joy in my life. I was going through the motion of living without hope, without promise, and without Jesus. My fear was the fear of being and dying alone without the chance of salvation. I suppose I figured that God was only watching me sometimes and that whatever I did, he only saw it if it affected someone else, if my sins were hurting someone else. I was wrong. All sins are sins against God first and willfully sinning is violating his greatest commandment. I heartfully considered these truths and realized the Holy Spirit was knocking on the doorstep of my soul, getting my attention so that I would see I was walking through the wide gate and that I needed to adjust my trajectory to the narrow gate, the gate that led me to my Savior. Whom shall I fear? Brothers and sisters, God is truly our master. Believing this, we are able to do all things by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Transformation is not switching from the the to-do list of the flesh to the to-do list of the law. As Paul wrote in Galatians 5.22, it is replaced with the fruit of the Spirit. Not until recently did I truly understand what the answer to the question meant. Whom shall I fear? Now, at least for me, it is no longer a question, but a statement. Thank you, and God bless you.